0: It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he, if he, if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep to say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Let's pray. Great God, we thank you so much for what you've already done today. God, we thank you that you are glorious, that you are holy. Uh, We thank you that you have spoken sweet and precious promises over your people. God, as we enter into your presence, we are in awe of your wonder and of your majesty, of your glory and of your power. God, continue to allow us to behold your glory. And God, when we behold your glory, we are reminded of our sin, our sins of this past week, God, how we have lived and acted outside of faith, how we have acted in pride and with a haughty spirit. God, I pray that when we feel the accusation of the evil one who is to tempt us to despair, that we would be reminded yet again that all our sins have been forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ because his blood was shed over our souls, God, that he ever stands before the Father pleading for us through his blood that we are forgiven. So God, I pray as we confess our sins now that you would forgive us on the basis of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. Dear God, we thank you so much for um, bringing our church together this day. We pray for those who are hurting in our community. Uh, we lift up uh, Judy Player this morning, God. We pray that you would continue to minister to her body as she undergoes chemotherapy. And, God, we thank you um, for the Sweat family to be with us today as they remember her, their, their mother. God, we thank you for her legacy, her legacy of life and love that she instilled Uh, Into our children. Uh, We pray for that family today, God, that they would be drawn closer uh, to you as they remember the great love that they saw in their mother. And God, we pray also for those in our community who are far from you. We pray for the gospel to be proclaimed uh, in in our area. We pray for Gene Flack at Flint Hill Baptist Church this morning. God, we pray as he graces the pulpit that he would speak a powerful word, that the loss would be drawn unto your um, your name. God, we also pray for those across our world who are struggling. God, we, we pray specifically for the people of Iran today. God, uh, under the harsh uh, threat of persecution, God, we pray that you would open up that country for the proclamation of the gospel, that missionaries would be able to go freely in and proclaim the greatness of our, uh, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for those who are being persecuted all over the Middle East, that their faith would not waver, but they would stand strong in the face of persecution. And now, God, as we enter into this time of worship corporately as a body, we pray uh, that you would allow us to humbly submit ourselves to your holy word. God, your word is powerful. God, it speaks in such a way to change us, to move us from one degree of glory to the next. It encourages us It exhorts us to live up to the calling we have in Christ. You have declared us righteous and holy and perfect. Dear God, I pray through, through your word now that we would be challenged and encouraged to, to live up to what we have already obtained in Christ. God, I pray that I may decrease, that you may increase. God, we pray for faith and we pray for humility this morning as we look upon your holy and righteous word. God, what a privilege it is, what a privilege it is to come and hear your word. So God, I pray that you would quiet our minds, quiet our hearts, that you would open them both, that we would receive what you have for us this morning. So, God, I pray that as I speak, the Holy Spirit would, would preach through me. Lay upon this message, upon the hearts of your people, the people you have formed by your, for your own possession, who are zealous for good works. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Do not put God in a box. Turn on your microphone. Do not put God in a box were the words that Pamela Thomas told me when I sat in a college Bible study at 20 years old. Uh, I was considering going to a summer project with Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, there was different options for a summer project, both in the United States and overseas. Uh, I was, she was trying to convince me to go to Venezuela as a missionary. Um, in order to do that, I would need to raise $3,500 for the trip uh, plus $600 to cover my rent for the summer. Um, I just didn't think it was possible to raise the money uh, for the trip and my rent, so I decided to do a summer project in the United States. Uh, there was one offered in Santa Cruz, California, about 30 minutes from my parents, so I said, Well, I could get a job, I could save up money for college, and I could be near my parents. That sounds like a great, logical reason to do it. So I sent my application in and I waited and waited and waited. Um, after several months, I didn't hear anything back, so I called the Crusade office and asked them about my application. They said, well, your application was actually lost. Uh, It never got to us. Uh, And that Santa Cruz project that you wanted to go to is now booked up, so you're going to have to find somewhere else to go. Well, my immediate thought was just send me somewhere else in the United States because in my mind, I needed to uh, support myself while I was in college. As I hung up the phone, it was as if the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, do not put me in a box. So before I even knew what happened, I picked the phone up. I called them back. I said, can you just send me to Venezuela? She said, sure. Hung up the phone. Uh, within two weeks, I had to ex- receive my acceptance letter, and I had, four th- uh, I had two weeks to raise $4,000 in order to go as a missionary for two months. Well, in those two weeks, the Lord allowed me to raise $5,000. Do not put God in a box. I lacked faith in God. I did not believe that God was able to meet my needs. I literally put him in a box. I limited his ability. I did not have faith in him. Now, one of the greatest threats to the church in America is something called the Word of Faith movement. I won't mention all their names, but the, the Word of Faith movement is full of plenty of people who you know, probably listen to on television. Uh, The movement states that through a verbal confession, the promises of God, that God will give you blessings. The founder of the movement, E.W. Kenyon, preached that God would award you with financial and other gifts if you just verbally asked Him. If they did not receive them, it was because they lacked faith. He coined the phrase, what I confess, I possess. Kenneth Hagin, a modern-day father of the Word of Faith movement, claimed a four-part formula for receiving physical and financial blessing from God. Say it, do it, receive it, tell it. The movement holds the name-it-and-claim-it theology. If you name it, you claim it in Jesus' name, it will be yours. It is a threat to your faith because the movement is built on the desires of your flesh rather than on the holy word of God. It's heresy. It's dangerous. The movement emphasizes your faith rather than the majesty and the glory of the one who gives faith. Now, although the teaching is dangerous, we cannot allow the pendulum to swing too far. To the other side where we tend to limit God's ability to do great things through our lives. God hears the prayers of his people. And God delights to answer the prayers of his people. God wants us to live in the supernatural. We must believe Matthew 19.26 when Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible and oftentimes in an effort to distance ourselves from the word of faith movement, we may not ask God to do great things with our lives. We may not even ask God to do great things because we want to not be like the people in that movement. Beloved, we cannot avoid believing that with God, with God, all things are possible. Jesus does not want us to put him in a box, but he wants us to grow in our Faith. If you look at the, the bulletin provided for you, here's the outline of today's message. Grow together in love. You got that last week and the first one. Grow together in faith. Grow together in faith. Jesus commands his disciples to be willing to offer continual forgiveness toward the repentant at the end of verse 4. I just read it. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent. You must forgive him. Now this level of forgiveness seems extreme. And this type of forgiveness, this continual regular forgiveness that God asks us or commands us rather to do takes faith. So what do the apostles appeal for? They appear for faith. Hear how the Lord responds to this request. Look at, again at Luke seventeen five and 6. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now I want you to see the apostles, the disciples, focus on the amount of their faith. While Jesus shifts it ever so slightly and focuses on the presence of faith. See, God wants you to grow in your faith, not in looking at the amount of your faith, but rather on the object of your faith. See, as our view of God grows, this is one of the reasons why I use the word, behold the glory of God. This is why we, we just sung, behold before the throne of God above we sing that type of language because we know that as, we, as as our minds expand about the greatness and the grandeur and the majesty and the glory of God, our faith grows because we put more trust in Him because we have more reason to treasure and to cherish who He is and what He has done for us. Now, the book of Hebrews was, was concerned uh, with a, a group of people who were struggling in their faith. They were, they were being... Um, challenge to drift away and neglect this great salvation, to, to turn back to the law. And I want you to see how the beginning of the book of Hebrews goes in the beginning of chapter 1. It says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us through His Son, through whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and inherited the name that is more excellent than the angels, far superior to the angels. Now I want you to see that. These people needed faith to not drift away. So what does the author start with? He starts with extolling the greatness of the object of our faith. The greatest way to increase your faith in God is to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now this is the exact opposite of what the Word of Faith movement does. They tend to focus on the greatness of your faith rather than the object of your faith. They focus on themselves rather than on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's dangerous theology. I remember sitting on a front porch after... um, Uh, This young teenage girl's grandfather died. And she says, Pastor Dave, I was told that if I had faith, if I just told I had enough faith, my grandfather would not have died. She was carrying around this weight on her shoulders, that it was her fault that her grandfather died because she lacked faith. That is not what the Bible teaches. We should not focus on the amount of our faith, but the one who is worthy of our faith, if we focus on his glory and his greatness, our faith and our trust will grow. And we want our faith to grow. But we want our faith to grow in Jesus, in his word. Now the question is, do you have faith in Jesus? Now the Christian life is a lifelong process of shifting trust from ourselves to Jesus Christ. Now if you're here today and you are are, are not a Christian, You're here visiting, here with friends. Have you ever thought of the danger of placing your faith in yourself rather than God? You know, God does not, hear me, beloved, God does not help those who help themselves. God helps those who die to themselves and trust in Jesus Christ. We can't help ourselves because we are sinners, and thus we need a Savior. If you place your faith in yourself, your faith will fail you. But if we place our faith in God, He will never fail you. We can trust God. Why? Because He is perfect and offers His Son's perfect life, Jesus Christ, to save us, to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and bring us into His kingdom. He promises you new life, new life, eternal life, through the resurrection from the dead if you would just shift your trust off of yourself onto God. If you are not a believer today, can I just challenge you to shift the trust, the main trust of your life off of yourself and onto God? Because God wants to use you. God wants to use us, church, to do great things for his name. He wants us to go and make disciples of all nations. He wants us to use our spiritual gifts for the upbuilding of the body of Christ that we could all be formed into him who is the head, Jesus Christ. He wants us to help change eternal destinies by going to the, the fields, going to the highways and the hedges to bring people the gospel of Christ. That's why he says, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now he's not speaking literally. Literally as if he wants you to have some kind of Darth Vader-like force to lift up trees and cast it over into uh, the list of physical things with your mind. He is saying that with small faith, with small faith in him, with small faith in him, you can accomplish great things. God wants us to work to spread his glory over the face of the earth. We live in a very unique era of history. Uh, We live where technology is so advanced that you could send a message from this sanctuary and have it reach all the way to the far reaches of China. We have thousands of mission agencies, like the International Mission Board, which we support as Southern Baptists, that sends countless missionaries all over the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But beloved, this was not always the case. Things started to change when one man had faith in a great and powerful God. In the late 18th century, it was extremely rare for Christians to use their wealth to reach the lost. Uh, William Carey uh, was a young man who kept urging his fellow pastors to form a missionary society to to pool their resources to send missionaries all throughout the globe. In one meeting, one elderly pastor looked at him and said, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, He'll do it without consulting you or me. But Carey was burdened. William Carey was burdened based on the Great Commission in Matthew 28 19 through 20 that it was the obligations of Christians to go and to make disciples of all nations. Kind of what it says, doesn't it? So he wrote an article An Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use the Means for the Conversion of the Heathens. It's a long title. Became a rallying cry to support and send missionaries overseas. On May 30th, 1792, Carey preached the deathless sermon to a congregation of Friar Lane Baptist Church in Nottingham, England, where he said two points. He said, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Now, Carey had this great faith in God, he trusted him. He attempted to do great things for God by going to the far reaches of the world at that time to go to India with the gospel. So on November 11th, Kerry, November 11th 1793, Carey arrived on the shores of India where he would spend the rest of his life. He faced extreme difficulty. He buried two wives on the shores of India and several children. It took him seven years to win his first convert, first believer in Christ. And at the end of 41 years on the mission field, only 700 converts could be testified to his name. That's about 17 or 18 believers baptized in Christ a year. Now, we, we look at those numbers, they seem very modest. Carey never fully lived to see the results of his life. His life, his legacy echoes eternity. He translated the Bible into 42 different Oriental languages, which are still in use today. He laid the foundation of all foreign missionary movements. And his example, his life, encouraged thousands upon thousands to go, to go to the nations with the gospel of Christ. He never saw it. But he believed. He believed in great faith that God would use him. And God did answer his prayers. The thing that Carey understood, he understood two things. He understood God's greatness, and he understood his own weakness. When Carey was buried in Sarampore, India, he had only a stone slab to mark his grave. And it read this, A wretched, poor, helpless worm, on thy kind arms I fall. He understood those great truths, his sinfulness and God's greatness. Beloved, do not focus on the greatness of your faith. Focus on the greatness of our God. We were wretched and poor, helpless worms. That when we were far from God, God showed us His kindness in our redemption through our great Savior's death and resurrection. Jesus was marked as wretched. Jesus was marked as poor. He was marked as a helpless worm that we could become the righteousness of God the cherished possession of God Almighty Himself. And upon His victory over death, Jesus has given us new life in His Spirit. Now that Spirit that lives in you says, attempt great things for God and expect great things from Him. Yet, we do not want to err in thinking too highly of ourselves. And conversely, we do not want to think too lowly of our God. We have to have balance. So when we grow in our faith by growing in our knowledge of God and beholding his glory, when we do that, we'll also grow in something else. Humility. Second point, grow together in humility. Jesus is the master of balance. Right after His his encouraging his disciples that just small faith will enable you to do great things, he encourages his disciples to keep their service, to keep their faith in the proper perspective. Look with me in verses 7 through 10. Jesus says, Now will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? And here it is. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say... We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Let me just say this. Christians should serve God. We should give ourselves for the work of the gospel. There are some of you here today who need to ask yourself, am I living to serve Christ, or am I living that others may serve me? The Greek word used for servants here is the word doulos, which is meaning for slave. Beloved, when you come to Christ, you are his friend, you are his child, but you are also his slave. You are slaves for Christ. He is your master, and we must serve him with all of our lives. And yet, our Christian service never puts God in our debt. Hear that. Our Christian service, our labors for the king, never puts God in our debt. God does not owe us anything anything for our labor and our service for Him. Listen to what Acts seventeen twenty four and 25 says. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God does not need humanity to serve him, for he has all that he needs. He is the one who gives us life and breath and everything. See, he's trying to give balance to his disciples. We are called to serve him. We're called to have faith. We're called to do great things in his name. But here it is. We have to have humility when we do. We have to have proper balance. He wants us to serve him, but he wants us to serve him in a very particular way. He wants us to serve him where he gets all the glory. He and he alone. He's warning his disciples the danger of thinking that spiritual service entitles entitles them to special favor on earth. We will not be rewarded in this life for doing what he has commanded us to do. Jesus makes this crystal clear in verse 10. Hear it again. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now, here it is. It's natural. In in our natural self, it's natural to think that God owes us something from our labor. This is why you hear things like, well, God... I've been working very hard as a Sunday school teacher for so many years. You should spare me the trouble of Alzheimer's. God, I I always give my 10% to your kingdom, so why would you allow me to get laid off from my job? God, I, I pray and study hard to preach to your people. So it's so unfair that you allowed me to get cancer or a disease. Beloved, we can't think like that. God is never in our debt. God does not owe us anything. He, promise us, he promises us something in glory, but he does not owe us anything. Our service does not give anything to God as though he needed everything because he has given us everything through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And even Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He gave his life for ours, his glory for our shame. But here it is, God wants you to serve him but he wants you to serve you, serve him with the strength, with his strength, so he gets all the glory. I want you to write this verse down. 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4, 10. This is an important verse. speaking about service in the church, and it says, Whoever serves, which should be all of us as believers in Christ, should serve as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, the purpose calls, in order that in everything. God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And again, the same principle, Philippians 3, 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Same thing, Galatians 2, 20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Do you see that if you trust in your strength, in your service, you are actually seeking your own glory. If you trust in your own strength to serve God, you're actually trusting in seeking your own glory. If we bring something to the table, then God would have to owe us something. We are called to serve the Lord, but we are called to serve the Lord with the strength that he supplies in order that he should get all the glory. In everything, he should get the glory. Uh, Daniel Eugene Rudiger uh, walked on to the Notre Dame football team in 1974. Uh, he was severely undersized, 5'6, uh, weighing 185 pounds. Now, as you enter in the football season, look at the linemen in the Division I program, they're a lot bigger than five foot six inches tall and 185 pounds. They would look like me. Just kidding, right? 6'5, 330 pounds, these huge men. Well, the story was popularized in a 1993 movie called Rudy. Uh, The movie documents how hard he worked and his extreme sacrifice and service for the Notre Dame football program. Before the last game of the senior year, he was told that he did not make the dress list. So he quits. Uh, He was never going to dress for an actual game. Uh, He thought he deserved a chance to be on the sidelines. So in the movie, Rudy is encountered by his friend and and janitor, Fortune, in the midst of his sulking for not getting what he thought he deserved. Listen to their interaction. Fortune says, hey, what are you doing here? Don't you have practice? Not anymore, I quit. Oh, well, I see. When, When did you become the quitting kind? I don't know, I just don't see the point anymore. So you didn't make the dress list. There are greater tragedies in the world. Rudy says, I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad to prove to everyone that I worked. Prove what? That I was somebody. That I was somebody. That last line revealed that the service he rendered to the Notre Dame football program was ultimately for himself. I mean, is that you? Is your service ultimately for yourself? Do you serve to prove to the world that you are somebody? Do you labor? Do you give? Do you you go behind the scenes so that the world will know that you are somebody? Or do you live to show the world that He is the only somebody because of what He has done for us poor, wretched, helpless worms through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you serve for your own glory or for the glory of God? of God. Now, Psalm 115.1 says this, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Listen to what the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, warns and encourages based on this truth. I quote, and what have we that we did not receive from the God of all grace, That how carefully are we to walk humbly before the Lord? The moment we glorify ourselves, since there is room for one glory, only one glory in the universe, we set ourselves up as rivals to the Most High. Shall the insect of an hour glorify itself against the sun which warmed it into life? Shall the potsherd exalt itself about the man who fashioned it upon the wheel? Shall the dust of the desert strive with the whirlwind, or the drops of the ocean struggle with the tempest? Give unto the Lord, all you righteous. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto him the honor that is due unto his name. Yet it is perhaps one of the hardest struggles of the Christian life to learn this sentence. Not unto us, not unto us, but unto thy name be glory. It is a lesson which God is ever teaching us and teaching us sometimes by most painful discipline. Let a Christian begin to boast, I can do all things without adding, Thou through Christ which strengthen me. Before long he will have to groan, I can do nothing and bemoan himself in the dust. When we do anything for the Lord and he is pleased to accept our doings, let us lay our crown at his feet and exclaim, Not I, not I, but the grace of God, which was within me. Beloved, behold the glory of the Lord. Give him his due. As we grow in faith, we grow in faith as we behold the object of our faith. And when we see his glory, we will serve in humility. Whatever service the Lord calls you to, whether it be a stay-at-home mom, a praying widow, a faithful employee, or a behind-the-scenes worker who no one will ever know your name whatever sphere the Lord has called you to, you are called to attempt great things for the name of our God and expect great things from His hand. And when we have done our service, let us all say, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name be glory. We are wretched and poor, helpless worms falling before our great and glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. We fall before Christ and lay our faith we lay our service at his feet. For he he alone is worthy to receive glory and honor and power and might now and for forevermore. Let's pray. Great God, I pray. I pray, Lord, that we would live understanding that the faith that we have is a gift by your hand. That the ability to serve you is also a gift by your hand. God, I pray for your church. I pray that we would have faith in you to do great things for your name, that we would have faith in you and expect great things from your hand. But God, I pray that after all our service, we would just say we are unworthy servants, just doing what was our duty. So God, I pray that with our lives, we would echo for all time, not to us, not to us, but to your name be glory, honor, and praise. We pray this in the one and the only one who is worthy of glory, Jesus Christ. Amen.